Will you turn in your pew Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses. Pew Bible page 1,886. Some time to think about what, the, what we could possibly cover in the evening services. Now that we've gone through the Heidelberg Catechism twice, we've been through the Belgic Confession. Um, I think that First Peter is a very applicable book for us today, the season that we are, the trends that are happening in our culture. Um, and, um, and I think it also might be helpful for us to get a, a bit of a, a broader expression of the Reformed tradition. And so if there's any doctrines that may be coming forth in the scripture that's being uh, explained or the scripture that, that we're looking at in First Peter, um, I'm going to use the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Longer, uh, Larger Catechism. It's always weird. It's shorter and larger. Yeah, okay. Um, to, uh, to explain those doctrines so that we not only have use of the language that our wonderful tradition has, the Continental Tradition, the Belgian Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the, uh, the Canons of Dort, um, but also maybe we can become familiar with and appreciate uh, the language of the, the Presbyterian tradition, um, the Westminster Standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism. So, with that being said, would you please draw your attention to the reading of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to the hands, to the hearts, to the minds. All right, so um, there is an iconic um, image that happens. Uh, maybe many of us have experienced this ourselves. It's something so deeply connected to our humanity that uh, it's portrayed not only uh, as personal experiences in our own lives, but as an element of uh, common media and movies and TV shows. And, and that's the idea of being... Take last, you know. You all gather on the playground at recess time and you all get lined up and there's two kids and they've been made captains and so they get a pick, you know, who's on their teams. You're playing basketball, football, whatever. It's a pickup game. And you got one person that gets picked for the one team. And then you got the other person that gets picked for the other team. Then you got another person that gets picked for the other team. And, and as it goes on and on and on, there that kid is. He's the last one picked. And that's never a good feeling. You get the sense that you're unwanted. Nobody really wants you. You're not even really picked because you're last. And so it's like, well, okay, well, we... I guess we get this guy, this kid. You know, maybe you weren't picked last. 
on the playground. Um, maybe you were a star athlete, but uh, I resemble this statement. Last kid picked to be on a team for a pickup basketball game, football game, soccer game at recess. Why is that such an iconic image? Um, I think it's because um, deep down as humans made in the image of God, uh, we want to matter. Uh, we want to belong. Um, we want to be important. We want to be chosen. So we're going to talk about that in relation to our, our scripture passage today. Our theme tonight God has chosen those who would become his exiles in a world not their own. God has chosen those who would become his exiles in a world not their own. We've got four points tonight. See, it's like I'm one year away from seminary and I've already just come away from the three-point sermon model. It's just, it doesn't work, you know. If you need four points, you can get four points, okay? You are chosen. Point number one. Point number two. Election means exile. Point number three, salvation is Trinitarian. And point number four, salvation is holistic. Um, I could say Salvation is a package deal. So let's start with this first point. You are chosen. Now there would be some in reform circles who would think that uh, we should underemphasize the, uh, the doctrine of election. It's a... Um, it's a divisive doctrine. It's one that we shouldn't focus on because, um, to be honest with you, it's something that puts us outside of your general evangelical community. Um, in the, in the uh, Christian Reformed Church, there's been a push to get rid of the canons of Dort, the canons of Dort as part of our, uh, our standard. Um, and, and not only that, but there's just been a, a general sense in which uh, election is a doctrine that we are embarrassed about. It's something that um, uh, we, we shouldn't make primary. It's something that we shouldn't put at the forefront of what it means to be uh, reformed, what it means to be Christian reformed. Um, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, uh, an unfortunate connection between our Dutch heritage and uh, the theology that com comes along with that. So it's like, okay, well, we need to get rid of 
our, our Dutch heritage connection because we're not, we're, we're, we need to be more a broadly American church and, and not be so ethnically identified. And then what we do is we associate this Calvinistic perspective, this focus upon election with that Dutch heritage. And so we, we've got to burn the wooden shoes, so let's burn the doctrine of election too. Um, I bring all that up because I can say that since I'm not Dutch and it's not part of my battle, I mean, uh, to say that that is not something that Peter is ashamed of. Point number one is you are chosen because the first thing that Peter does in his letter to the churches in what is known uh, as modern-day Turkey today, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, besides introducing himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, is to say, to God's elect. Peter's not ashamed of this doctrine. Peter is not ashamed of this identity. You are chosen. And this connects to the uh, illustration that I wanted to use. You see... That uh, iconic image of the kid being picked last for a pickup game um, on the playground connects to us because um, it is true that our, part of our human nature, part of our uh, humanity being made in the image of God is we want to matter, we want to belong, we want to uh, be a part of something. Um, and it's very true that if you um, believe in the doctrine of election, that you are elect, that you are chosen... Apart from the understanding of irresistible grace, or apart from the understanding of unconditional election, or apart from the understanding of total depravity, um, you could be kind of puffed up. You know, I'm, I'm elect. I'm a chosen. I'm the frozen chosen. Um, I am special. I'm important. I am, in fact, not that kid that was picked last in the playground. I was picked first. And this is where God flips everything on its head because this is kind of the way that I like to look at election when it comes to um, the way God um, has called us. Um, one of the questions that's often asked is, what are the reasons why God calls us? And the, 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 uh, the doctrine of unconditional election means that there's no reason in us. Um, there's no special thing in us. There's no goodness in us. There's no higher intelligence in us than other people. There's, no, um, there's, no, there's nothing in us that separates us from those who haven't been chosen. Right? But if you read... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and following, or 26 and following, you read that there might actually be um, a reason why you could say God chose us. And it says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So this is the way that we should look at election. We should look at election as if the entire world is a playground full of kids that should be picked last. You see what I'm getting there? In fact, shouldn't be picked at all. Yet God picks us, chooses us, that we may display his grace and his mercy. And because of that, then we look at others whom we don't know if they've been chosen by God or not. But maybe at this time in their life, in accordance with God's providence, are not walking with the Lord. And we don't think of ourselves as better than them, but we say, if not for the grace of God, so there I go. That person's a kid that shouldn't even be picked to be on the team just like I was. And so we have this saying, right? God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He calls you because you are nothing. So that way when you become something, people say, wow, look at God's grace and not, wow, look how awesome that person is. Peter's not ashamed of this doctrine. Peter starts off his letter with the acknowledgement right off the forefront to God's elect. To God's elect. So then, I'm going to read now then in correlation with that acknowledgement of election our Presbyterian brothers and sisters have chapter 10 in the Westminster Confession of Faith, point one, on what they call effectual calling. And this is what chapter 10, point one of the Westminster Confession of Faith says in correlation with the doctrine of election. All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. So that's a good word, I think. The second point that we have tonight. Election means exile. Now there's a uh, translation issue here um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. In our NIV translation, this Evening, it says, to God's elect, comma, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, some other translations like the ESV 
will not have that comma there, and it'll say to God's elect exiles. Um, almost as if to, to bring those two terms together, elect exiles, as a, um, a title for the people whom Peter is writing to. Um, so not God's elect, comma, strangers in the world, but to God's elect exiles in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, you get the same grasp, you get the same meaning from both of those terms. Um, but um, I like this um, elect exiles terminology because I think it's helpful to understand that Peter is identifying his audience with these two terms. Not only are they chosen, um, but they are displaced. Um, these things go together in the Christian life. Um, so Peter is writing this letter to um, uh, what is modern-day Turkey, uh, most likely to a Gentile audience um, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And um, these people um, are experiencing um, uh, sort of what you would call the beginnings the rumblings of a greater persecution that is to come. Um, Peter will later say, do not be surprised on when the fiery trial comes upon you, right? Um, most likely this is being written before um, the persecution under the Emperor Nero. Uh, the Emperor Nero uh, set a fire to the city of Rome. And uh, his, historians tell us most likely blamed it on the Christians in order to uh, distract from his, his, burning, his burning the city. He wanted to burn the city because he thought he could build it nicer. He was crazy, by the way. Absolutely insane. And so what he does is he destroys his own city so that he can make it the way he wants to make it. And as a scapegoat, he blames it on the Christians, these, these cult, this new cult that's in Rome, these Christian people. And so what happens to these Christian people? Well, um, they get impaled on spikes, dipped in tar, and they become torches um, for Nero's nighttime parties. Um, they get fed to lions. Um, and so that's a very serious kind of persecution, a very, um, a very violent and forward kind of persecution. Um, but Peter's audience, he's writing to them, and they're experiencing more, maybe you could say, the rumblings of what that would come to be. Um, the way that they are being um, looked upon in the community, in the culture, as suspicious, um, as those who do not fit the norm, as those who um, can be used as a, an excuse for the things that are happening. Um, oh, a, a drought comes through. Rain is not coming, right? Oh, in these cities, well, it's because we have these Christians who live in this community and they aren't worshiping and they aren't bringing sacrifices to our God the way that we are and so our God is not happy with us because of these Christians and so um, they get scorned um, socially not all, they're not allowed in certain kinds of businesses, they're not allowed to participate and exchange in certain things in the community you see what I'm saying? That's a rumbling to what may come later a very forward, outside kind of persecution. And so Peter's writing to these people. And he says, God's elect exiles in the world. 
scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, even though this is a Gentile audience, um, it's very likely that they would know uh, some of the Old Testament scriptures. And so, to, to uh, have these two things connected to each other is something that would bring to mind to them um, a, a very clear theological, biblical image. They are God's chosen people. Peter will, in the future, in this book, use that particular language, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. And we'll get to that. Um, but they're in exile. God's chosen people have experienced a number of exiles from the people of Israel. You could call their time in Egypt a time of exile that they are freed from. Uh, you could call their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness a kind of exile. You could call Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden of Eden an exile. You could call um, the, uh, the people of Israel being kicked out of the promised land and brought to Assyria, an exile. You could call the people of Judah being kicked out of the promised land and brought to Babylon, an exile. That's what the Bible calls it, an exile. It means that you're displaced from your homeland. It means that you are apart from where you're meant to be, your homeland. And so Peter's entire letter is going to be an explanation of what it means to be God's chosen people who are not in their homeland anymore. And, and I hope that we connect with that. Much like Daniel and his friends who were in Babylon. Much like Jeremiah who speaks to the people in his, uh, of Judah who are in Babylon. And he tells them, pray for the city. Do business. But understand, this is not your home. This is not where you're destined to belong to. This is not where you belong. Much like Abraham who wanders through the promised land. But he's a stranger. He's a pilgrim. He lives in tents. That's our identity as Christians. We are God's chosen people, but we have not arrived to the land of milk and honey. We are elect exiles. Election means exile. So it's, it's kind of an irony because um, being chosen, in one sense, means we don't, we don't belong. Get it? Being chosen in one sense means we don't belong, that we have now been displaced from this world that used to be our home, that used to feel like this is where we should be. And now that our union with Jesus Christ has seated us at his right hand, God's very own right hand, now that we walk by faith and not by sight, and we are awaiting, like the author of Hebrews says, a land that is more beautiful than this land. A country that is better. It's a heavenly one. And we await the city which God has prepared for us. Well, election means exile. What does that mean? It means if you are chosen, you don't belong here. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. You're in the world, but you are not of the world. You, just like Peter's original audience, are not home yet. And how should that identity, as God's chosen people who are not home, 
function in our daily Christian life. Function in the way that we live out the Christian life. Peter's going to expound upon this uh, all through this letter. And I think, like I said, because of our context, because of uh, the things that are changing in our society and our culture today, this is such a deeply impactful letter that we can be discussing and talking about. Election means exile. It means uh, we don't belong. It means uh, that we, um, like Paul will talk about in Philippians, are citizens of heaven. But Peter continues on in his uh, introduction here. He says, to God's elect in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Uh, it's a Trinitarian formula. And um, I will tell you that I believe that the doctrine of election um, is the only doctrine that wrestles with the truth of salvation in a way that does not break, break up the three persons of the Holy Trinity. Um, Uh, for instance, if you use the, the Arminian formula for, for salvation, um, God desires uh, that everyone be saved, which is true in a sense. Um, but the way that they use it, um, God does not exclude anyone um, from uh, salvation. Uh, Jesus dies on the cross for everyone. And the Holy Spirit, he uh, seeks to attempt to apply that work of salvation to everyone um, but um, Jesus' work is not perfect because uh, not everyone accepts his death on the cross. The Holy Spirit can be frustrated because he can seek to uh, apply that work to somebody, but that they, they can refuse their choice and their free will and can refuse. Um, and so uh, God um, is ultimately frustrated. The Father is ultimately frustrated because he wants everyone to be saved, and, and they're not saved. Um, the... Uh, the doctrine of election believes that before creation even came into being, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, made a pact. In theological terms, it's called the pactum salutis. Uh, oftentimes, um, it's called, in, in non-Latin terms, the covenant of redemption. God the Father um, gave a people to Jesus. Jesus, the Son, agreed to come and to live and to die for that people. And the Holy Spirit agreed to apply that work of salvation and redemption uh, to the hearts of that people. Salvation is Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. 
Um, and Peter explains that, expresses that here in his opening letter. He wants them to know that their election um, is dependent, um, based on, founded in the holy, undivided trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it cannot be broken, cannot be changed, cannot be rearranged or determined. You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. But salvation is not only Trinitarian. When I say holistic, I mean uh, from start to finish. Uh, from beginning to end. That's what I mean by holistic, not not in the term, not in the way that people use holistic today, like holistic health. And uh, I guess it means the same thing. It's it's a it's a full package. It's a package deal. Salvation is a package deal. Um, and this is the way that Peter describes it. It is according to foreknowledge. Of God. Let's put it like that. Um, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit uh, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Uh, sprinkling with his blood with grace and peace in abundance. Salvation is from start to finish. It's from beginning to end. Uh, when, when Peter says, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, it is not... Uh, in the sense that you've been chosen because uh, God um, saw, foreknew that you would believe in him. God foreknew uh, that you would have faith. Therefore, God, uh, God chose you. Um, uh, John MacArthur always says, if that's election, then it should be called divine reaction. Because God is only reacting to what he saw you would do. So, um, But no, God's choosing comes first. And so when it says... According to God's foreknowledge, it means um, prior to your believing, prior to your existing, God, before the foundation of the world, as Ephesians chapter 1 says, chose you. And he chose to be in a relationship with you, to know you. And he had knowledge of you, intimate knowledge of you. And that's how you're chosen. Um, and it is that choosing, that foreknowledge, that choosing that brings about that ultimate reaction, that ultimate reality of faith, effectual calling, um, as the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 10, verse 1 says, um, all those God hath predestined unto life for new, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature 
to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. And the way that God's foreknowledge does this is through the work of Jesus Christ um, being applied to us, enlightening our minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, renewing our wills by his almighty power, determining that that which is good and effectually drawing us to Jesus Christ, um, making us willing to, to, uh, to be saved. Um, and I say that because the way that Peter orders that, this, uh, this expression of salvation, um, doesn't include what we would normally call um, hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, uh, that kind of thing. And it's all encapsulated in that understanding of you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. That's why the next thing that's said um, is not um, uh, through the work of Jesus Christ or anything like that. It's actually uh, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And so you're being chosen, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. You are God's workmanship in order that you may do these works which God has planned out for you to do. So, or Ephesians chapter 1 says um, the reason why we've been chosen, right? Um, I want to read that just so I can be clear on that. Um, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Um, so, our being chosen in accordance with the foreknowledge of God is um, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit is continuing to apply that salvation to us in greater and greater growth. Uh, we are being sanctified through the work of the Spirit. And the result of this sanctifying work of the, of the Spirit is obedience. Um, to be obedient for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Now, it's kind of a bizarre um, statement that um, Peter uses here. We have been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling uh, by his blood. What exactly uh, does he mean by that? Well, later on in the uh, um, letter, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he'll say... For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so Peter's writing to these Gentiles and he's saying, you have been handed down generation through generation an empty way of life, a worldly way of life. Um, but now... You've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Well, what is being purchased with the bread of, uh, precious blood of Christ in response to or in uh, correlation with or in opposite of this empty way of life? Well, it's obedience. It's obedience. Um, obedience to Jesus Christ is through sprinkling by his blood. Um, being purchased by him away from the empty way of life to a full way of life. I've come to bring you life and life abundant, right? And then finally, throughout all this salvation from start to beginning, the work that God has begun in you, he will bring to completion. Grace and peace is yours in abundance. 
God gives more grace. God gives more grace. Salvation is not only Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but it is a package deal from beginning to end. All the way to before creation even began, the foreknowledge of God knew that you would eventually, in time, come to salvation in Jesus Christ through his working, the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And the sanctifying work of the Spirit will continue to work in you, obedience to Jesus Christ, um, all the way till the very end when we are glorified. Romans chapter 8 says, uh, you are chosen, predestined, justified, you could add sanctified, glorified. You are elect exiles. You are a group, along with me, of kids that should never have been picked to be on the team. Um, but God picked us. And because he has picked us, he will make something of us. We were nothing, and now we're becoming something, but not because we were something, but because we were nothing. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If he's called you, he'll make you into something through Jesus Christ, his son, through the sanctifying work of the, of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient by the sprinkling of his blood. If he's called you, you're going to be an elect exile in this world. Someone who's been chosen, but who lives in, in a place and amongst people who are not their people. In a country that is not theirs. Longing for the home that belongs to them now. That they've been tied to inseparably, inseparably through Jesus Christ. You and I, we're all elect exiles. We're pilgrims in this world. We're wandering in the wilderness. And we are called to live for the kingdom of God. That's going to make us look different. It's going to make us stand out. It's going to make us salt, light. And it means that maybe like Peter's audience, we might begin to experience persecution. Um, we might begin to experience hardship. Uh, we might begin to become people who are ostracized from society. Um, but that's okay because we don't want to belong here, ultimately. We belong in the world to come. The new heavens, and the new earth, a better country, a heavenly one, one that God has made. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have chosen us to become exiles in a world not our own. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be your chosen ones, filled with all humility, elect exiles, wandering as strangers and foreigners, pilgrims awaiting the country, the heavenly country. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would know 
um, that your salvation is assured in us, that what you have begun in us will be brought to completion. And we ask, Lord, that you would grant us grace and peace and abundance as we make this journey. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.